Welcome to another episode of Viatorian Voices Conversations on the Way. This episode is another roundtable on the way, a more in-depth feature to explore things a little further than we can squeeze into the usual 15 minutes. This roundtable is one of a three-part special to mark National Vocations Awareness Week, an effort to increase mindfulness of vocational discernment and encourage people to explore God's ongoing invitations and respond with lives of loving service. In this first part of these NVAW roundtables, we explore Viatorian religious life. For this topic, we have three guests. Brother Peter Lamick professed first vows in 2016. He serves the Viatorians as the Director of Vocation Ministry after serving as a teacher, coach, and learning specialist at Viatorian high schools. Father Charlie Bolzer professed first vows in 1963. Father Charlie is semi-retired and living in Arlington Heights, but continues to celebrate sacraments and support St. Vider High School as chaplain. Brother Rob Robertson professed first vows in 1987. Brother Rob serves as a counselor at St. Vider High School and has served as a teacher, campus minister, and counselor at several Viatorian schools. We assembled these three to join their perspectives from younger, middle, and older members and the viewpoints of various generations of Viatorians. You'll hear distinct insights from each of them, as well as a wonderfully common Viatorian thread. I started by asking them about what drew them to religious life and particularly what drew them to Viatorian religious life. You'll first hear Brother Rob crack a joke, and then Father Charlie kicks us off. Brother Rob responds second, followed by Brother Peter. Enjoy the conversation. We'll defer to our elder. <laughs> you knew Father Kerbs in St. Father. Yeah, I knew Father Kerbs. <laughs> After high school, enlisted in the Air Force, spent three years in Europe, and the anniversary date is today. That John Paul XXIII was installed as Pope, and I happened to be there for that installation. And that was a very powerful impression. I was just visiting all over Europe and Rome and seeing the uh, church and the world. And then coming back, and I went to work for the post office, and I joined the Knights of Columbus, and they had a big retreat down there. And I went on retreat, and I decided I, need, I needed to get away from being the post office employee and do something more meaningful. I had never heard of the Viatorian, but I knew that there were some priests in Peoria, and I called my cousin over there. She introduced me to a couple of Viatorians, and they introduced me to others, and then I said, well, I'll give it a shot, and I'm still giving it a shot. I'm very similar to you, Charlie. I did not know any Viatorians as well growing up, so it's kind of weird how God works <laughs> in, uh, in drawing us towards the Viatorians. I, I was not Catholic growing up, so I didn't even have that going for me whenever I was uh, a youngster. But my first job out of college was working in a Catholic high school. And the Catholic high school was administered by the Viatorian priests and brothers. So whenever you ask the question, what drew me to Viatorian religious life, they were the only religious order I knew. Um, I did not know there were other religious orders, to be quite honest. Um, I only knew Viatorians. I found the guys I worked with at Griffin High School just to be a really great mentors and educators. I was a teacher. That's what I was trained to be. I wanted to be a teacher. And when I started feeling this call to religious life, there was no other religious order that I knew about. And that was what I was drawn to the Viatorians because it was the only ones I knew. I first met the Viatorians as a student 
at St. Vitor High School, first in the classroom of Brother Michael Gosh, uh, my literature teacher. Um, he was like a teacher I had never had before. He was this force of energy, also competent and effective. He was this combination of both this exuberant, constant joy, while also like he really knew his stuff. And I really felt like I was learning. It was the, it was the best of both. And then again, later in high school, I had Brother Rule, another great literature teacher at St. Vider. Now my sister Carla had Brother Rule for four years of homeroom. And my sister Victoria had Brother Rule uh, for lit class as well. So three of us Lamics had Brother Rule. He was, and probably even through all of college, I would consider maybe the best teacher I've ever had. He was so knowledgeable, and I would say for the first time of being in the classroom, I was excited to go to class. I remember sitting in homeroom with this kid, Pat Guth, and coming back from his class and going, this is incredible. I've never had a teacher like this before. And I just went on and on for the whole homeroom about how I loved his class. And Pat's like, wow, you really, you really <laughs> like literature. And I'm like, yeah. And I, and I would say before that, like, I never even like read books, you know, other than stuff I had to read. And that was kind of the first time I really started to read for just like the sake of reading. And I would say he really taught me like how to read. You know, he would get in all these like motifs and themes. And I even think about him when I'm watching like, a, you know, a TV show or a movie, you know, all of these, these things that are embedded within the, in the story. Brother Gosh and Brother Rule made a very big impression on me. It's not a, it's probably not a coincidence that I decided to, to go into teaching after I joined. Kind of the other part uh, that I kind of already mentioned is having four siblings who also went to St. Vider High School. When I started to really think about religious life, and I told my family I was thinking about it, all of my siblings and my parents really encouraged me to explore the Viatorians. I would say it was a strong encouragement. <laughs> you know, it was, um, you know, really, you know, for my sisters and, and my brother, who all had Viatorian brothers and priests in the classroom, um, they were just very impressed by them in terms of like how relatable, but also competent they were in terms of being educators. So um, I, I very much listened to my siblings and my parents. And, uh, you know, I contacted uh, Father Corey and uh, he kind of got me going in the process. And like you said, Charlie, here I am, you know, yes. nine years later. You were ruled. Yeah, I was ruled. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. So how would you say that your perception of the community through the men that you first got to know and the early experiences you had, how does that match up with what you discovered as you got a few years further into religious life and now as a perpetually professed and further on? How did that understanding match what you first saw, but how did it maybe develop and grow as you got to know more men and get more involved in ministries? A lot of change. When uh, I entered, this was before Vatican II, 
and it was a very structured community. I kind of was on the edge there for a while. And I was in Griffin High School in Springfield for three years. I met the Viatory community in full force at that point. And uh, that was a different church at that time, a different community. And it has changed radically since then. But uh, when I first went down, uh, many of the men wore their cassocks full time in the classroom, and, uh, the collar, and the church was rules and regulations and obedience. And uh, it's uh, since Vatican II and over the intervening years, a lot of change, a lot of openness uh, to the world and to the, uh, the faith. What really attracted me to the Viatorian religious life. Uh, again, I was working at Griffin High School in Springfield, Illinois, and the community of Viatorians who were working there at that time was a large number of Viatorians, and they were a pretty uh, steady group who had been there for a number of years. And they really lived community well. They were so inviting, so welcoming to me as a young lay person, inviting me to experience how they lived their life, inviting me to dinner, getting to know me. And when I would go to their house, there were 10 at the time, I always enjoyed going there and watching the camaraderie amongst them. And they seemed to enjoy one another's mm. company. They got along well. Mm. And so when I was invited to think about joining, I was able to move in with them at that time, we were called affiliates. Now, young men are called pre-novices. I was lucky enough to move in to that house with two other young men. And so there were 13 of us living there. And that still was one of my best experiences of community life. There were men of all ages, mm. 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. And it was just a very happy, fulfilling year of watching how much care people had for one another, um, the joy of the dinner conversation, uh, watching television together, the joking with one another. It was like a, a very nice family atmosphere. And I think that's what encouraged me to take the next step of saying, I want to be part of this. I, I felt like I'd found a place where I could feel welcomed where I belonged and where I knew I could grow, not only in my faith, but in who I was and felt that people really cared about me. So that's what I found when I first met the Viatorians and lived with them. And I've had those experiences over the years in various communities where I've lived since then. So that's what I have seen. For me, I guess a couple things come to mind when I was just starting out in those first few years um, as a Viatorian. One of them is when Brother Gosh and a few other Viatorians connected me with young men who were seeking asylum in the United States. I had the opportunity to meet all these young men from all these different places in the world who each had their own story. and. For different reasons, each sought refuge here in the United States in order to, uh, you know, seek a, a better life. It was such an eye-opening experience to what was going on and is going on in the world. 
Along with that, we would go and visit these unaccompanied minor uh, shelters throughout Mm -hmm. Chicago. And I remember just for the first time walking into this room with all of the kids from toddler age all the way up to 17 and the reality of what was going on in the world was really a moment where I felt this invitation from God to really make a decision about who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do with my life. And in a way, this kind of decision, you know, I could, I could go along and live a good life and be indifferent towards suffering, towards what's going on in the world, or I can continue to be a part of this community that was paying attention. Um, so it was, uh, I really, I, I credit the mentoring of Viatorians in my early years to open my eyes to things that I was just totally unaware of and to, uh, you know, to open my eyes to kind of the different issues of what was going on in the world and to be a part of a community that was really trying to, to meet these people's needs. Um, I guess the, the kind of the, the other part is um, when I started to uh, begin my preparation to be a teacher at St. Vider High School, it was a different situation of being uh, people's colleagues, you know, being with other Viatorians and now with, with other teachers and staff members and the profound respect they had for the community and the profound respect they had for the the brothers and the priests, uh, for all the Viatorians, it gave me a deeper appreciation for the community that has been built there and the communities that we have built. There's something so unique about the communities that, you know, we try to raise up. You talk about our mission as raising up communities where faith is lived deep and celebrated. But I think they're communities in which people feel that we care about them. People feel like we walk right alongside them, that uh, we're not just asking people to do things, but we do it right alongside them. And communities, I think, where people feel a sense of comfort in our presence and leadership, you know, that we bring a set of, of values and the way we care and have compassion for people that I think people really, they, they buy into. It's very much uh, in agreement with their kind of vision for who we should be as church. So just starting out as a new guy, so to speak, at the high school was also a, an eye-opening experience to really the, the bigger impact that we are able to have as a community beyond just individual ministry. You know, individual ministry is wonderful. But what we can do as a community can really change, uh, really change a, a whole community. Mm-hmm. I taught a lot of <clears throat> teenagers who would complain about the church or complain about their life of faith. And sometimes my response to them was, I don't know that you've seen church life or faith life lived well. You haven't seen a good model for it. And I think those of us who went to St. Bider High School had a very close up good model of church life and faith life in our Viatorians that were our teachers and campus ministers and in the community that they raised for us to grow in. And it's a great blessing to us, those of us who are alumni and to the students who keep going there now. 
I think people kind of get a sense of what religious life's ministries are, but maybe they don't necessarily see so much of religious life in terms of its community life. And you have named parts of your community lives that are nourishing to you and help you to find your fulfillment and your vocation. Can you connect the dots a little bit for us? Like, for example, how would you say that like dinner table conversation and family room social time actually can have an impact on the type of ministry and the way that the mission of the Viatorians unfolds in the world? How do you connect the dots a little bit for people who aren't on the inside of religious life and might not have a sense for that? Well, I remember Griffin High School as a community. And I was there for nine years. And uh, it was an excellent community of people. Very different. The diversity was immense. But good people coming together, caring about each other. And they cared about life. And then I saw, at the same time, the community extended in St. George Parish or in Rochester and other parishes, where the community was still alive. And Father Ed Hygen, who was the principal when I went there, was a pastor now of a small parish. But he loved the people, and they loved him. And it was a sense of belonging, a sense of uh, caring about life and about the people, and working together to, uh, to enjoy it. And just one other thing, too. I saw people like Father uh, Pat Cahill over at St. Ryder, and Jean Lutz. And Jean Lutz worked out at Pustakey Bay, and he helped establish a place, a retreat house, for 12-step programs. The people out there love him. They've already canonized him. Whether he Rome has or not, they've canonized him. But they saw Gene Lutz as somebody who was a veteran of World War II, a POW, involved in war and violence, coming back and helping people in a very real way on retreats and... Uh, one of the men that worked with him, Brother Pat Rohan, is still there after 60 years. And they still have the retreats for the 12-step program now. And they do a great job there. And that's Pat Rohan and Gene Lutz and people like that. Are not always in the high school, but other places. Yeah. This is the, uh, the ongoing tension of religious life. Ministry versus community life. We join religious life to be ministers. Many of us do. But we can't really, in my opinion, do good ministry without a strong community life. And that's the big tension because many of us want to give, 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 give. And then we come home and we're tired, 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 tired. <laughs> And there's nothing left to give to those we live with. And so there's, there's always this ongoing tension of how do we balance giving to those in the community, but also the important aspect of giving to those in the community. Because it's not going to work if we're just out there. Because I could be a teacher and not be a viatorian. I could be a social worker and not be a viatorian. I could be a principal and not be a viatorian, but I joined religious life to be part of a community, and it means more than just going to work every day. And that's the part that takes a lot of intentionality. It takes a commitment to more than just getting up and going to work. It means coming home 
And even when I don't want to be around people who I didn't choose, as Charlie said, <laughs> being at the dinner table, being in the TV room, conversing, saying, let's go out to dinner, let's do this, because we are our family. You know, when we join religious life, we're saying, this is my family now. And without that, I personally don't believe we can do anything well. But that's me. And sometimes that causes tension in religious life because you can't just join religious life and then go off on your own and do whatever you want because you're responsible to those you've made a commitment to when you put this ring on your finger. You're saying, I'm part of this, not a lone ranger. So that's a, that's a tension. It's a tension that's worth fighting for, I guess I want to say. It's, it's worth living because it's, when it's good, it's good. But it, and it's worth it. Yeah, for me, I guess, um, when I think about the connection between ministry and like community, I think one of them is just like, you know what you you really, really love by what you talk about. And when we're at the dinner table or in the car or in the community room just hanging out or watching TV, what do we talk about? We talk about mission. We talk about ministry experiences. Uh, we talk about, you know, our dreams. Well, we could do this. Imagine if we could do this. And I would say it's pretty, like, constant. You know, yeah, we talk about what's in the news and, uh, you know, what's going on in the world. But in terms of, like, you know, our schools, our parishes, Fighter House of Hospitality, we seem to be always discussing about, you know, kind of what's going on and kind of where we could take it. You know, it's uh, so I can tell just, you know, you know, over the years and in, in uh, the communities I've lived in, we do definitely love ministry and we love talking about it with one another. The other the other part is and this kind of connects with this. It's a comfort to know at the end of the day that I do have people to talk to and share it with. You know, if I had a, an experience, whether difficult or a blessing that happened, you know, as a teacher or as a coach or, you know, on a retreat or something, it's a real comfort to be able to, to you know, go home and to sit down and share it. And I'll find myself, you know, having a, a certain experience on a retreat. And I look forward to returning home to talk about it. Yes. And the other part is like, we are real people. You know, I'm a, I'm a real person. You're both real people. <laughs> and real people experience doubt, disappointment, frustration, failure. We come across dilemmas in ministry where it's also a real comfort to know that I don't have to figure it out all on my own. Right. That I can come home and bring it up to the, you know, the, the guys I live with in community and say, oh, this was hard. Or what do you think I should do here? It's also one of the blessings of intergenerational living uh, that typically, as you, you go up in years, experiences and wisdom is acquired. And, you know, you always have someone in the community who can help mentor you, you know. Especially in, in religious life, we're always kind of 
a lot of times in transition from one ministry to the next. It could be one school to the next, one place to the next. Like the people that you live with in community are just a real, uh, they provide a foundation. They provide a, a stability, so to speak. We don't take a vow of stability, but that fellowship, that taking time for prayer, that taking time to just be with one another, for me, is a, is a stabilizing factor that enables me to give my myself away in the ministry. And that bass was 12 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even to share, you know, ridiculous stories of being the bass fishing coach and not n- knowing how to navigate the boat, you know, and going in circles. Well, and I, I know for me, I mean, you talk about, you know, looking up for mentors and everything. And, and that's that's true. But, you know, we also get a lot of things from the younger guys. I mean, the things that that you have added to our lives, being, you know, one of the younger ones in the community. I mean, we don't take that for granted either. You know, you give a lot of credit to the older guys and, you know, the mentorship you get. But we don't take for granted what you bring to us as well. Mm-hmm. The hope and the excitement that you bring to things when sometimes we get tired and and, and want to give up too easily. And the excitement and enthusiasm that we still see in you and some of the other younger ones oh, keeps yeah. us going. Hmm. And so, you know, that that's a great part. And and I know for me, when I'm away, you know, maybe visiting family or, or whatever, I literally miss the people I live with. I mean, I miss my community. I mean, it's I could not imagine not being in a community. I, I literally miss the people. I mean, I'll find myself when I'm away texting the people I live with, to, you know, wanting to share something that's going on, like, oh, you know, this is going on, or this is going on, or what's happening here. I mean, it's like, okay, I, I miss these people. So I, I think that's an important thing that people don't realize. We're not just, you know, working and ministering. Mm-hmm. We're literally sharing a life together. And I think that's important for people to know about our ministry and our community. It's not just oh, these guys all live together and they go to work. We're sharing life together. And I think that's an important thing for people to know. Just as an aside, as someone who's retired, theoretically, and I live with uh, 10 people that are semi-retired or retired and different stages of, of retirement, I get fed with the energy by going to visit the school the energy of the students, of the faculty, and I see all that activity and all the noise and mm-hmm. the, the celebration of life. I just see it going on all the time. It feeds me and gives me courage and gives me hope. It's a community for me. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they're not all the names, but it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. They're, they feed me in a very real way. I need that. I need you mm-hmm. young Bayatorians. The same, the same okay, thing. I... I'm 67. <laughs> okay. One other thing. I don't know. I guess I realized or kind of maybe both realized and have been intentional about that participation in community life, I think is really important so that, you know, the only time I'm living the gospel isn't in professional ministry. I think it's so important to that when I do come home, that there isn't like this bifurcation in my life where I have, this is the space in which I live these gospel values. Mm -hmm. 
that I have to, it's one lifestyle where I'm always living the gospel. And, you know, to what extent am I living the gospel if I don't care for the people I'm literally living with? And that's where, you know, Brother Rob, you were saying, ministry can sometimes be draining. And I think that's why we have to be extra intentional in order to be attentive, to really listen to one another and support one another and making sure sure that we're not just roommates, uh, but we're, you know, we're brothers. There's a wisdom to it. I think there's a real wisdom. And I think the way religious life has, you know, developed and, uh, and evolved that community piece uh i think it's always been a facet of religious life and i think there's been a purpose to that mm-hmm. and i think when it it does that community dynamic does kind of weaken i think our presence our mission mm-hmm. kind of weakens with it so um, yeah when we talk about moving into the future i think it's always a both end you know they go they go together So what would you say based on the ministries you're a part of, the communities that you've lived in, the men that you've known over your years, what is the lived spirituality of the Viatorians? Because we have these great documents that are these beautiful meditations by men who went before us, groups of men, councils, chapters, and they have this lovely way of kind of describing a spirituality that we're called to. But how do you actually see the Viatorian spirituality lived out by men that you've lived with, worked with, and come through religious life with? What is the lived spirituality of the Viatorians in practice? Oh, wise one. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> no I pressure, Charlie. I think it's different for everyone. And I don't think everybody thinks alike, exactly alike, or has the same vision. And, um, you know, I look around the universe, the world, and see constant change. I see that spirit of life constantly moving, changing, developing. I mean, we constantly are adapting. I think we're in the middle, quite frankly, of a radical change in the church right now and in our community with the shrinking numbers and the, uh, the uh, whole idea of what do we do here as the laity are becoming more and more prominent in the role of the church, seen through the synods and the different activities and the struggle for all that. But we as a community even are open to the laity coming in and walking with us as partners. And so we're not just those in the vows, we're also those with the church. As Vatican II said, the church is the people of God, all of us. And I think we have a role to play still. But I think it's also that role of looking at that spirit moving us and changing us and inviting the lady to walk with us, to share with us our mission in educating, in welcoming the community and being part of that community. And so I think that's a, a shift that goes back from the time that I entered to today. It's not the same, it's, a, it's different. But there's also that sense of um, looking at that spirituality of God's walking, God not up there in the heaven up there, but here on the world, in the earth, in among us, walking with us. And the community is much wider than we are, but we're one very important part of that community. But we're also part of other communities too with us. And that uh, spirit unites us in that way. 
I do really believe that our founder, Father Curbs, had a vision of church that very much embodied what took place at Vatican II mm-hmm. in terms of his, uh, his vision of laymen and women mm-hmm. and clergy and you know religious brothers in this instance collaborating together working together to to serve you know to serve god's people i think he had a he had a sense of that universal call to holiness Mm -hmm. the sense of you know people's baptismal call i think he had uh an attentiveness to see that the liturgy had an important role in evangelization lay people helping within the the liturgy itself Mm -hmm. I think his his attentiveness to the youth in catechesis, yeah, I really, Father Kerbs's his spirituality was very, mm-hmm. I think, ahead of his times. Oh, yeah, I think so. And uh, I do see the, the kind of enduring kind of, in a way, vision or values that persist to the present day. Mm-hmm. When we talk about like lived spirituality, maybe some particulars would be helpful. For me, when I think about, you know, being a Viatorian over the years, seeing how we walk with people, how we relate to people, there's a real, I mean, maybe we use the word humility. I don't know. We just, we have a a natural sense of just being with people and people are comfortable around us, around us. You know, this is a, this is a phrase that started to be used with, you know, after Pope Paul VI, popular progressio integral human development. Mm. Something I see in common to all Viatorians, whether you're a pastor or you're a president or you're a teacher, is we all have this profound, deep desire to support and help people grow, regardless of the situation that you're in or or they're in. Rob, whether you're a counselor and you're trying to help a kid take the next step or you're a teacher and you're trying to help that kid just learn that that next concept or you're a president and you're trying to shape a culture that allows everybody to flourish mm-hmm. that for me that's a lived spirituality that's you know that's the incarnation of god is with us mm-hmm. and it's a it's a sense of wanting people to to grow and to flourish and to have peace and joy and love in their life but i think it starts with what like you said being with People oh, and entering into people's lives. It's reading the signs of the times, the times change. Yeah. And how do we deal with that? And I think, along with that, as, as a religious community, I think people want to see, us as an example of that, mm-hmm. not only walking with them, which I totally agree that we do, but I think they want to look at us as, this is possible. You know, seeing us as a group doing the things and saying, oh, look, they're doing that, showing us how it can be done amongst this group of men, praying together, ministering together, looking for ways to reach out to those of little importance. If we can do that and get along with each other and not kill each other, (laughs) then I think that's an example for those we walk beside that oh this is how we do it 
Otherwise, what's the purpose of religious orders if we can't be models for the people we walk with? We're kind of like the Petri dish. You know, let's put these guys all together and see if, if they can't make this stuff work, then it's not going to work in the real world. You know, that's the way I kind of see our role is, can we pray together? Can we live together? Can we put together a school? Can we put together um, social ministry things? If we can do those things and invite people to do it with us, I think that they say, this is possible. That's the way I kind of look at our role yeah. in this big, this big mm. thing. Otherwise, um, what place is there for us? Yeah, I, I totally agree. There, there is and needs to be a prophetic dimension mm-hmm. to us as a community, right? You know, and to us as individuals, mm-hmm. and that's where, like, um, of course, we want to continue to invite people to consider religious right. life. Absolutely, we want to invite people to become, you know, brothers and priests with us. But I think maybe even first and foremost is like continuing to be attentive to how authentic we are Absolutely. within our communities. Mm-hmm. Yes. That authenticity it, it needs to be primary in the way we're like, we're the value carriers. Mm-hmm. Exactly. One of the things I notice, and I notice very strongly, we have been throughout the Illinois, five different high schools, high school nuzmages, and uh, parishes of all these places, we're still remembered. Mm-hmm. I still people still connect with right, me. Right. They'll call me or send me an email, and there's, there's a memory that they have that they want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And they still connect with the Viatorians. Mm-hmm. They remember that Viatorian presence. Right. And I've heard people as an example in St. Joe's Parish in Springfield. When we left there, they felt a void. Mm-hmm. There was something missing. Mm-hmm. A sense of community. Mm-hmm sense of belonging. And I heard that same story in Las Vegas when we left the parish there recently. And there was something that people said, the Viatorians, they have a whole different approach Mm -hmm. that they recognize and they value. And that's why I agree with you, Peter, that we still have a place in this church and there's still a reason to invite people Mm -hmm. to be Viatorians. We are the prophetic witnesses for the world. Other people can do things, but we need to be the prophetic witnesses to walk with people, but let them see this is possible. We need to get people to join us, invite people, and let them know this life is valuable. It is valuable not only for the church, but for the world. And and that's what our role is as religious. And and it's got to be intentional amongst us mm. to show people there's value in this life. So drawing on that portrait of religious life, what would you say to a young man who is trying to figure out, is God inviting me to consider religious life? What is there in the Viatorian community among the congregation for a young man to discover and experience in terms of what's there for himself and in who God made him to be and what he can become, but also in what he can do together with 
other Viatorians in service of the people of God in the world? For me, and I think all of us have kind of said it in our own ways, take the little step. You know, no. I, I took a step 37 years ago and it fit. And each step, it's like, as long as it fits, you stay, you know, and, and people never know until they try. I mean, if it feels right, give it a shot. And as long as it feels right, you know, it, it's something that you'll, you'll find life with the Viatorians. If, if you feel called, you give it a, a shot, you know. There's, there are steps that you take until you make final vows or, or move on. But um, I, I think there's enough good <clears throat> in religious life. There's enough support. There's enough ministry to keep someone engaged in their discernment to, to really know, does this work for me? That's what I said a long time ago. 60 years ago. And you're still here? I, I give it a shot every day. Same I'm with still me. giving it a shot every day. Same with me. <laughs> and I still find it uh, worthwhile. Yeah. The whole package. And you, you really can't tell the future where it's going to lead you because the world and the church changes and so on. We have to adapt to that. But there is also that sense of uh, yourself and led, being led by the Spirit to how do we do that as a community. I can't do it by myself. None of us can. We need each other. And uh, our mission is, is very specific. It's proclaiming the good news. You know, it's uh, who we are. But we do it within a community. And we try. And I see people... Today, it's not the 18-year-old. It's people who may be 30s and 40s who are looking. The older generation... Uh, when they were 18 or 19 or 20. And there was, well, in the old days, we wanted a high school graduate right into the Viatorians. And today, that's changing. But it's not just changing with us. It's changing oh, everywhere. And how do we adapt to that? But how do we open our arms then to let people know that? That you, 35 years old, you've done a lot in the world? Let me try it. Give it a shot. We need you. The world needs you. Yeah, I think some like concrete ways to um, kind of explore, you know, your call to religious life, you know, coming over for dinner and prayer, sitting alongside us, you know, talking about the day, uh, you know, listening to stories about our, our ministry, um, praying with us, spending some time, get to know us, um, you know, to, to, Kind of enter into that space with us and to see kind of what do you think what do you feel what's going on inside you and then to get actually involved in in doing some volunteer and, and service work you know for us we're very passionate about youth ministry and we're very passionate about connecting youth to the underserved you know to go with us and serve and again to kind of pay attention to what's going on in your heart what are you thinking? You know, for me, when I went to dinner and prayer, when I went to go do youth ministry and connect youth to the underserved, I felt this growing 
joy and this desire to continue to to continue to follow the path. You know, now I think I'm at a point where I am absolutely convinced that our charism, our Viatorian charism is what the church needs. And I'm absolutely convinced that the church needs to be focused on young people, on connecting young people to those who are underserved. And uh, I think the way in which we do it, the kind of the operative kind of dimension of how we do ministry, it's what the church needs as we you know, continue to move forward. It's more than what the church needs, it's what the world needs. Mm. I look at the world we live in, politics, business, economics, corporate mindset. How do our students make a difference in the world they live in as they graduate? What are we sharing with them? What thought process, what uh, vision? That they're called, they're gifted. But is it just a gift to uh, enlarge me so I can be Speaker of the House? Mm -hmm. <laughs> or so I can make billions of dollars? What is it we're calling these young people to and sharing with them that vision, as you say, that mission, to enlarge their vision of what they can be and what the world is calling them to be? When I was preparing this presentation to ninth graders, at St. Vider High School. And I was really taking the, some time to think about, well, what do I, I want to share with them? What do I want to talk about? Um, and I gravitated towards talking about our alumni and to talk about a, a number of our alumni who really, I believe, exemplify our values as Viatorians and are making a significant difference in the world. And... First, it was hard to whittle it down because there were so many people. Yeah. But I had this moment when I put the presentation together where it just kind of kind of hit me of the difference our charism has made in the world. Yeah. Like the culture in which yeah. we built yeah. in our schools and in the community is what sets people up and young people for going out into the world and striving to make a difference. Um, and not that I had like a, necessarily a fear with that of losing it, but more of like how important it is and how we need to continue to nurture it. Like the, our, our charism is needed. You're right. The, the, the world needs our charism. I saw that directly in, when I was working in Las Vegas, in a high school in Las Vegas. And I got to know a lot of casino owners, very wealthy people. Mm. But I also got to see another side of them. They weren't just there grabbing money. They were there taking money, but they were sharing it. They were giving it away. They were helping people. And I saw that directly. Mm. And they were very generous in their ideas. They see some people, they need help, they were going to help them. And so they were collecting money for themselves, certainly. But they had no problem looking around and seeing the pain, the struggle, and helping, healing, and making whole. Mm. So they were our graduates. That's all for this installment of Roundtables on the Way. We thank Brother Peter, Father Charlie, and Brother Rob for their witness. We pray for all our professed Viatorians worldwide, and we invite you to pray with us for continued vocations to Viatorian religious life. 
please consider praying a Hail Mary each day, asking Our Lady of Grace or Our Lady of Guadalupe for her intercession on behalf of our congregation. Viatorian Voices, Conversations on the Way is a production of Viatorian Vocation Ministry. The Viatorians are professed brothers and priests, together with women and men lay associates, who proclaim Jesus Christ and his gospel and raise communities where faith is lived, deepened, and celebrated. In the footsteps of Venerable Louis Kerbs and under the patronage of St. Vider, we strive to do everything well, so that through us, Jesus may be adored and loved. To learn more about our community, visit viatorians.com or follow us on social media at Viatorian USA. Those seeking support and accompaniment in exploring God's invitation for them are invited to reach out to Vocation Ministry. Send us a DM on social media or email vocations at viatorians.com to start a conversation. Young adults seeking to engage with the Viatorians and other young adults can request to follow our private Instagram at viatorianya on the way to connect in. On behalf of Brother Peter and the Viatorian community, I'm pre-associate Dan Masterton. Venerable Louis Kerbs, inspire us. St. Vider, pray for us. Adored and loved be Jesus. Mm-hmm.